Welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. This episode is sponsored by Team Rankstar and Inked Gaming. Visit TeamRankstar.com for all the latest Tesla news, and visit Inked Gaming and use the code TRS12 to get 12% off your next order of customized gaming gear. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. I'm Mark Lutz from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm glad that you're here with us tonight. And with me, I have uh, our co-host, um, a dead broke nerd. Dead broke nerd, how you doing tonight, man? Ahoy there, Mark. See, I worked in an ahoy just for you. Got that ahoy in there. That yeah, pirate. Got to get that. Got to get that bad boy in there. Uh, yeah, no, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's been a. It was a little bit of a busy week. Uh, weekend, I should say, actually. Um, and yesterday, I just uh, I slept so much. Like I worked and then I slept, uh, and that was pretty much it. I just because uh, because I mean, sat, let's see, I drove four hours Saturday, hung out with friends all day and night, and then drove back Sunday, and then DM'd uh, Sunday night. And so nice, then yesterday, nice. I was just like ready to pass out. I was just like, I'm mm. I'm I'm done. I'm just tapping out. So. <laughs> Got caught up today, though. Our lives are very different. <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> it's so, like, I, uh, I mean, I literally just, like, I got home uh, from from work at the escape room, and I just, uh, I literally just was like, I'm not even going to turn the TV on. I'm just going to go to bed. Just going right to bed. That's it. That's so, it. my week on Sunday, um, my daughter was gone this weekend. So we worked on the recording room like all day on Saturday. I worked with my dad. Then um, my, my daughter was gone Friday night with my mother and my father. Um, Saturday afternoon, she got picked up and uh, went to my in-laws on Saturday night, spent the night. I went, uh, I have three back-to-back services. So we, we, we had a little over a thousand people who showed up over the course of this weekend for church services. We have a Saturday night service I was at, then three Sunday morning, 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30. So I'm responsible for about 100, 100, 110 different volunteers throughout the course of the, you know, the five or six hours that we're doing services. And um, so I'm, I'm in the middle of doing that. And I'm literally, I, I was subbing in for someone who didn't show up. So I'm collecting offering. I'm standing in the back with a basket in my hands, waiting to go up as our pastor done praying and i get a call from my wife which is like she never calls me on sunday morning so like i answer the phone i was like what's up she's like um not to be alarmed but brooklyn is on the way to the hospital she oh, fell no. and cracked her face and she's cut and i don't really know what's going on so like i collected offering i ran home That's my two-year-old crazy. took a face plant from my in-laws recliner and just, just cracked her face clean off the ground. And you know that little piece of skin that, like, connects your upper lip to your gums? That, like, little thing up there? So her teeth yeah. her teeth cut that thing. And oh. it, it wasn't, like, a bad injury, but it just bleeds like crazy. So they took her thinking she was going to need stitches. We, like, met her at this mm-hmm. Children's Med Express. It's our first time there. We have, like, the infant in tow. All of that to say, like, we ended up back at my in-laws that day. Thank goodness no stitches. I like slept for two hours because I had not gotten any sleep the night before. Slept for like a couple of hours with my daughter. Um, we spent the whole day celebrating my father-in-law's birthday, 
came home, we pulled onto the main street of our little town and my, my daughter who has this huge fat lip and has like been hurt all day, right? She projectile vomits all over herself, oh, her car seat in the no. back seat of her car. And it's like, she just had ice cream and it was like in, oh. in, in mac and cheese. It was just like, like I came in and like, I had to take care of the dog. I'm like cleaning up vomit. Like we're trying to get two kids like bathed and in bed. And then my daughter Aria wouldn't sleep. So I ended up up all night, like holding her while playing um, Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um, so it was, it was just like, and then Sunday That's morning, awful. Monday morning, I had to be at work at 7.30 a.m. to go to like a five hour conference in the, in the town, like 20 minutes away um, and hear this awesome speaker and then come back and work and then, and then come home and work on the room. So it's been like, Sunday to to now has like been a whirlwind, um, and uh, I'm 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 happy. I'm very happy to just be talking about Tessel. I'm I'm not holding any kids. There's no one throwing up on me. I'm not <laughs> lacking. I'm not lacking sleep. I'm just talking about Tessel. Oh man, that is uh, that that that's a rough one there, bud. That, that's there's a <laughs> life rant, little life well, rant for you. No, glad it's uh, at least over for now. I'm sure there'll be another yeah. round of that at some point, but <laughs> for now, but I got I got to play like superhero dad. Like I I did like yeah. all of these things, help my wife out. So like I I got to play superhero dad for the weekend, which was which was cool. And of course, you know when you when you have kids, it's it's an entirely it's an entirely different ball game, but it's been good, and I got some a chance to play some Tesla this week a little bit, which I haven't really had a lot of time to do. Um, we're going to talk about that because I also got Pokemon Sword and Shield, um, and uh, which was awesome. Um, the game is really freaking good. Um, I have not even made it to the first gym yet. I think I got lost in the wild zone for like two straight days. Um, which if you don't play Pokemon and you don't know what Pokemon Sword and Shield offers, it's basically like this open free roaming zone where you actually have control of your camera, which you've never before had in a Pokemon game. Um, and you can just sort of like freely adventure around and like the weather changes as the weather changes, different Pokemon appear. And there's like roaming, like raid battles that you can get into with other players. If you like partner up with your friends and they join your game and you can like raid battle these like really hard to beat Pokemon, um, super it, it was it was kind of like their first stab at a bit of a more of a multiplayer experience and mm -hmm. i think they did a really good job at it so okay mmo I, pokemon yeah but not like when you go into the wild zone it's not like you see everybody like it's almost like a co-op it's more of like a co-op like you can invite up to three friends to like zone in with you and fight pokemon with you you're not just in there with like you know a like, five million other people right okay yeah, I don't know. The last Pokemon game I played was um, ooh, the remake of Silver and Gold. Oh, yeah. Heart, Gold, Soul, Silver. Sure. Love those. Oh, those they're fantastic. Great. Yeah. I, I've played basically every single one or a remake of every single game at this point. Um, yeah. So and, and like somewhere on a on a Pokebox bank somewhere, I have a, a living decks of the first like 740 Pokemon or however many there are oh, wow. um, like like sitting somewhere. So like that, that's been one of the genres that I've been invested in. You know, like in sixth grade, um, Pokemon came out for me in like 99. And my buddy and I with our Game Boys with like 12 batteries in them, um, him with Pokemon Blue, me with Pokemon Red would would just trade Pokemon and battle on the bus every single day on the way to school. And so like that's there's awesome. so much nostalgia that's connected to Pokemon for me. Yeah. It's unfreaking real. 
Um, well, Pokemon, so uh, if it wasn't for Pokemon, I wouldn't be a CCG player. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's right. Pokemon was like one of your first CCGs, right? It was my first CCG. And basically what happened is uh, kids started trading Pokemon cards and stuff like that. You know, when I was in, oof, uh, first grade, something, I want to say first grade, um, you know, and, and uh, maybe second grade, first or second. Um, and I think the first time it came up was maybe kindergarten, but I might be getting my years wrong. But anyways, and my dad, uh, I was like, dad, give me a bunch of Pokemon cards. I want to get some Pokemon cards. He's like, he's like, do you even know what these do? I was like, no, but they look cool. And he's like, it's a game, you know? And I'm like, (laughs) okay. And he's like, I'm only going to get you these cards if you learn how to play the game. And I was like, "Eh, okay, fine. Uh, so we went and we bought two starter decks and we learned the game and played the game. And then that became like the, like every night that I didn't have something going on, I'd be like, dad, can we play another game of Pokemon? And we would just buy starter decks and play starter decks against each other. We never built decks, you know, uh, yeah, we never that's really the introduction for you and your dad to it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it, that ended up getting me. Uh, and, well, because he was big into collecting board games and, and stuff like that, usually more standalone titles, not like collectible things. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually he heard about this game versus system and he bought some of the starter decks and stuff like that, you know, for that. And that translated into us getting really, really into versus system uh, and started going to tournaments and stuff. When I was in sixth grade, we started going to tournaments. So this, this gives me a great deal of hope for my girls. Yeah. A great, deal, <laughs> a great deal of hope for my girls. Yeah. Um, so real quickly, because this isn't really Tesla related, but it is a part of my week. I thought it might be beneficial to talk a little bit about Legends of Runeterra. Um, yeah. And the reason being is I got um, access to this past weekend's, um, you know, release or, or sort of like, um, I don't know, testing for Legends of Runeterra, in which I think the, the goal was that you were supposed to test their new arena format, but I didn't play the arena format. Um, so just to go over really quick some basics of Legends of Runeterra and why, what's different about it, what I like about it. Um, I'll try to be sort of like brief with this. So Legends of Runeterra is certainly a game. It's out of the League of Legends universe. So it's made by Riot Games. You're going to see a lot of the characters from League of Legends in it. Um, it's a, it's a card game where you're once again, battling in the same way as anything else, um, to, to, you know, knock your opponent's health down. Although in this point you're destroying their nexus cause that's connected to League of legends. Um, and, and you're going to build a deck to be able to do that. It, it, it's intriguing because it mixes a little bit more of magic, the gathering into, um, hearthstone. So it, it's definitely catered to a hearthstone audience in terms. It's a little bit simpler. It's smaller deck sizes, less intense combos, less mathy, less complex, but it's significantly more deterministic and way more complex than Hearthstone is. Um, I did not experience a single card. I'm not going to say there isn't one. I did not experience a single card with the word random on it. Um, It seemed to be a strictly, like this seemed to be a card game that you could print physically and just play um, without, um, without, you know, needing something special to do random determination for stuff. 
um, which was really interesting. So basically the game plays in phases. So um, you're going to be an attacker or a defender until both of you pass or both of you run out of mana, and then it's going to swap, and the other person is going to be the attacker, and the other person is going to be the defender. Um, and I'm going to take a turn, then you're going to take a turn. I'm going to take a turn, you're going to take a turn. So I'll play a card, you're going to play a card, I'll play a card, you're going to play a card, and you have the opportunity to react to that. And whenever someone chooses to attack, the opponent gets the opportunity to choose how to defend. So unlike so, Hearthstone or Elder so Scrolls Legends, clarify, this is a shared turn system. Sure. So um, let's say like round one, we're each going to have one mana, um, and uh, I will get a turn to spend my mana, then you'll get a turn to spend yeah, your mana. Yeah. Okay. So you're swapping initiative, but it's a shared turn system. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And um, so it, it's there's there's this skill set in choosing like when am I going to attack like if 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 it's I'm the aggressor this round do I attack immediately because it means my opponent has less opportunity to put creatures to defend himself on the board or do I play more creatures to the board letting my opponent spend his mana because if I attack right away and he has all of his mana to spend he may be able to play actions on his turn that are going to be able to screw me that he wouldn't have been able to play had I made him spend his mana by placing creatures on the board to defend with. Um, and when I attack, they're going to get to choose how to defend. So they get to position their defenders. So it creates a little bit more of a, like the, the attacker doesn't have priority when you choose trades. The defender has the priority when you choose trade, when you choose trades, which is very similar to magic the gathering, which creates sometimes a little bit more of a, it's a little bit more board centric at the same time. There's a little bit more of a, a stalemate in the board centricity there because like, like sometimes I don't want to attack because I really, this creature could be good and I want it to attack your other creature, but you're just going to defend with the one I don't want you to defend with and kill my creature. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. The other really, really interesting thing about the game is there is a spell mana system. So basically on your turn, if you do not spend all of your mana, it gets stored as spell mana and gets put into a bank, and you can have up to three mana stored. So if you go turn one, I don't use my mana, it becomes spell mana. Turn two, I now have two regular mana and one spell mana that I can spend on spells. So I can cast three cost spells on my second turn. Mm. If I pass again, I get two more spell mana, filling it, and on turn three, I'd have three regular mana and three spell mana, allowing me to cast a six cost removal spell against your aggro deck when I wasted my first two rounds. So in place of a rune system and a prophecy system, they have this spell mana system, which allows you to more efficiently take care of the board of an aggressive deck if you're playing control. Um, but after you spend that spell mana, it's gone and it spends out of there first whenever you cast any spell. You don't get to choose where it comes from. It always comes out of your spell mana pool first. So mm -hmm. it's that is was super, super intriguing because I thought like, wow, this is really going to make aggro decks strong. Control decks are really going to suffer. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case in this game. Um, I didn't get a chance to explore a ton. I played a lot of it over the weekend. I played um, a Hecarim Zed deck. So there's six different factions and um, you can combine two factions into a deck and you could put up to six heroes in a deck. And each of the heroes has a prerequisite. When you reach that prerequisite, they level up and become more powerful. And you make a 40-card deck. And you can have up to three copies of every card in your deck. So you can have, if you have six heroes, you can have three. I have three Hecarims and three Zeds in my deck, for example. Then I had a bunch of other three ofs in my deck. With My deck had the goal of summoning a bunch of ghosts to the board and going face, basically, towards the middle of the game. It was sort of like an aggressive mid-range combo deck. Um, mm. it, was, it was interesting. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know that there's enough there yet that it would hold my interest over a long period of time. But but there's a lot to explore there. There was a lot of heroes I didn't have. And getting early access, they give you a big stack of wild cards in every rarity. Um, It doesn't seem like it's going to be a really expensive game to play. Um, They have a really good reward system. Like you level up and you choose one of the six factions and every bit of experience you get levels you up in that faction unlocks cards and packs focused on that faction. So Mm -hmm. you can, and you can do that with all six factions over time. So you can like get all the rewards in the game for the six different factions. They have daily quests. Um, They have these weekly chests that you sort of build a a bulk of experience over the course of the week. And the more experience you build, the better your chest is at the end of the week. That was pretty cool. Um, so, you know, like I said, I, I really dug it. It's definitely going to be something that I'm, I'm going to be playing once it formally comes out in 2020. Um, definitely something I think it's worth checking out, especially if you liked Hearthstone, but sort of got fed up with the direction of Hearthstone and the randomness of Hearthstone. This game reminded me a lot of Hearthstone without much of the randomness of it. That's good. Do they have a mobile client yet? Or is that, uh. That's going to come out with the formal launch. So the beginning of 2020 is the closed beta, and that's for a whole new grouping of people. You can get it off a Twitch drop by watching a streamer streaming it if you connect your Riot account um, and um, anybody who's already gone access to it. And then later in 2020, there'll be the formal launch of the game with the full gambit of everything, um, and it will have a mobile client at that time. But initially, it's going to be PC only. All right. Well, that's 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 cool. I think a mobile client is something that like you kind of have to have in this this age for digital card games. I will say, just this is something I've been thinking about, and, and uh, I've actually talked with my roommate a few times about it. Uh, do you ever miss games launching without these ridiculous open beta? Six months of you know, by the time the game actually launches, nobody cares anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I, yes, I get kind of sick of it. Like whenever yeah. I whenever I hear open beta <clears throat> and it's more than like just a month, I get I get pissed off. Like just I mean, I, it's unreasonable, I guess. But like there was something fun about like exploring a game on launch day and nobody knows anything about it and everybody's on the equal footing. You know what I mean? And like, sure. yeah, there were those, there were those few people. But honestly, the rise of Twitch has made it so that like companies want the press they get from streamers streaming it, especially you know, sponsored or not sponsored. And and it becomes those things like they raise awareness predominantly through streaming and not through marketing traditional marketing campaigns, like that's one of the things that we've seen. And actually, especially with these like kind of service games you know we've talked about that before but like these service games like unless they are really really big titles you know like elder scrolls online or something like that mm-hmm. we don't we just don't see traditional marketing campaigns anywhere near the level that we used to because the main way they get uh, information distributed as well as just like you know word of mouth is through the streaming community which they can only facilitate if they open up the game for an extended period of time which means by the time that it actually launches you you know everything if you're someone like us really the beta is actually the launch and then 
you know, it's, and then some people can't get access to it on time. And I just, I'm getting sick of it, man. I, I you know, I can't sure. I mean, concisely sure. put together the sentiment, but. I'm sure what they're thinking, right, is that, that people are, like, people who are, are serious gamers at this point, right, they don't even watch TV. They watch Twitch, mostly, right? They may watch shows or Netflix, um, but they're, they're watching streaming stuff. They're not even going to GameStop. Most people are consuming their games almost exclusively digital download now. Um, yeah. They're not they're not going and buying physical copies. People's PCs don't even have a place to put a disc anymore. Um, so, True. you know, I think that they're like, hey, this is where the community already is. There's millions of people who want to buy our game who are already here and they want to know what the game is about. So let's give them the opportunity to sort of see and experience that. And let's, you know, sponsor and pay some of the biggest streamers to come and check out our game. Um, you know, they'll do sponsored streams for it. We can pay them. It's probably cheaper than doing traditional marketing campaigns. Um, you know, I think that you're, you're still going to see some ads that are, that'll come out for Legends of Runeterra the closer that we get to it, right? The same as you do see Hearthstone ads still, um, and Legends ads sort of on websites where you do see some more traditional marketing. Um, but, like, you know, for example, like, I think if you go to, like, Legends decks, Hearthstone is, is advertised on Legends decks pretty consistently, um, obviously for, for a reason. Uh, but that's a more traditional marketing campaign. Um, but I do think it's, like, ridiculous. Right? Like, Fortnite was in open beta for, like, the first year of its existence. Oh, I know. Well, it, and honestly, like, this kind of, I mean, I don't want to say officially started with, but, like, one of the first big, big games to do that was, like, Dota 2, which was in beta for, like, God, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. or more and by the time it actually went officially launched right i mean the game had been had the game had international tournaments with millions of dollars in beta you know what i mean sure like it's, beta it's, doesn't beta isn't beta anymore it's like a soft launch like you know what i mean like sure like it's they, almost like, as I, if like yeah. just launch the game in beta you know what I mean? Just launch the game when you're ready to put it in beta and say, we're launching this. We're really excited to, you know, keep improving the game. You know, I don't know, man. Like it just it it kills a lot of the hype for me, you know, and it, and you just miss that idea of, man, I'm excited to play this game. Um, and I and I, you know, I, I love that. Like the exploration thing is big for me. Like I love playing Dark Souls games and things like that on the day they come out. Right, because nobody knows anything. Nobody knows what's good. Nobody has optimized builds yet. Nobody knows where all the secret items are. And you just get this raw wonderment of like, man, you, everything you're doing could be, you know, revolutionary. You know, and even though it probably isn't, you know, there's something, there's that fun feeling of like, oh gosh, am I discovering something super dope here? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, and of course, when you have these extended, you know closed betas and open betas by the time hell by the time like open beta happens there will already be a meta there, will oh, already, there already be is a meta well and, that, and i hate that like i i hate that that is a thing that like like i i literally went when i i didn't want to waste my wild cards i literally went and i just searched for um for, for decks and i just crafted a, a an aggro a mid-range and a control deck at the top at the top of what the you know, what they were saying was the top of the meta before um, and just crafted those three decks so that I could test out the game because well, there sure. was there was a defined meta already after not, one weekend of play. Well, and I'm not anti uh, net decking for the record. Net decking is anybody anybody who shames net decking can come can can they can at me. OK, because <laughs> net decking is an important aspect 
you know, of card gaming. And that negative connotation came from the early days of Magic, you know, and, and it's it's shameful that it still exists. Why would you not? Why would somebody who wants to be competitive not look for good, credible information? I mean, if you think about that for anything else in the world, you know, anything else, any job you have where you're, you know, you're, you need information, no, you have to come up with, you have to so, start all these math formulas yourself. You have to reinvent mathematics yourself. You can't go look up the formula online. I mean, it's ludicrous. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and, and like, and, and, and just because you look at it, you know, you, you might go and net deck it, sure. Right. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they're dumb because they didn't have the time uh, or the energy to go and put together, you know, a one of a kind original. Because let's be real, one of a kind originals usually usually aren't that good, okay? None of and mine have been. You need refinement. I mean, what what they're doing is there's and that doesn't mean they'll be as amazing as that next person. I mean, if anything, you could argue that that creative person that knows their deck inside and out might have an advantage against that. And we'll actually talk a little bit about this when we get to deck accesses. But they they'll have a little bit of an advantage against that person who has who skipped the entire refinement process and jumped in with a deck mm-hmm. that they don't know how to play. Yep. You yep, know? Yep. So like, but, but just, but like damning them because of that is, is stupid. But the whole mm-hmm. point is I still think like I miss that moment where nobody's figured it out yet. And the fact that those moments are almost always solved before anyone can get access to it. You know, it, it's just, it, it, to me, it really, it really diminishes that new, the newness of it and that experience. But the fact that like, in alpha, that open alpha that they did with a very limited group, mm-hmm. by the time that the new round of the beta, this closed beta or whatever it was that just happened, you know, came out, there were already theorized best decks. And after mm-hmm. you know whatever changes they made, people already came up with it. And it's because that level of exposure being limited to just Twitch streamers and YouTube content creators and stuff like that, I just genuinely think it hurt. Think it hurts the experience for the average player who doesn't have those connections. And I just don't like that that is the normal. You know what I mean? I think there's going to be situations where that's okay, but I don't like that it's the new normal. Yeah, I think that the the thing that I don't love about this is that they've done like two weekends of release to test stuff out before they've gone to a closed. I, what, I, I don't, I think that in marketing, right, they do an open beta and that's basically game release and exploration time for us. Right. And then they do um, a formal launch six months to a year later. And that's exploration time for people who don't consume any content about it and open up the app store once every three weeks on their phone and look for something new to play. And it just so happens that, oh, this game launched this week. I will check it out. Right. That that makes sense to me because the people who are tuned into it know when the betas are coming out. The, the closed beta system that we're seeing um, with this, I, I don't love it as much. I mean, I love that I had access to it and I got yeah. to explore it. I love that they dumped a bunch of wild cards on me that other people who start out in the game probably won't get when you download it later. Um, I love that I got a jump start on the Legends Runeterra game. If I like it, that's great. Um, but I, it does kind of suck for you know some folks that have to play catch up then start off from behind. Uh, you know, luckily it's a smart, smart, smaller card card pool because it's a new game. 
Um, but it won't stay small for long. There's a ton of content for them expansions. to explore. Oh, there's a ton of content for that. I mean, they only have what, like four four heroes uh, in six areas, well, like 24 different heroes. I don't even know how many. It's probably like 70 heroes in League of Legends now. Um, yeah, I downloaded it and looked at it. And yeah. I scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and scrolled. And I mean, I'm used to it. Dota has 115 or whatever. Yeah. So there's are. insane amount of like new yeah. factions for them 100%. to introduce new cards. There's there's lots and lots of room. And Riot has the money to be able to pour into it if it's popular to make it happen. And they have the money to make <laughs> a prize pool. They have the money to pour into it, even if it's not popular. <laughs> that is, that's true. That's very true. But I, I think that it will probably be successful. Um, I, After I've played it, I'm like, this would not replace Legends for me, right? Like, yeah. I would play this with Legends, but this wouldn't replace Legends. It does not itch the same place in my brain that Legends does. It doesn't engage me yeah. intellectually in the same way. Granted, I don't love the way that Legends is engaging me intellectually right now. I find it to be boring. Um, I find that a lot of games I queue into, I would like to concede just because I don't want to play against those cards again. Um, like, I don't... I'm not in a good place for Legends right now. But Legends, when I am enjoying it, it it is a different level of strategy that's there than what I will ever get from Legends of Runeterra. Although, I think... What Legends of Runeterra does is what Hearthstone does much, much better. I think it's right. just I mean, what I, it I does played, I officially quit Hearthstone like two weeks ago. I just said, mm-hmm. you know what? Hands up. I'm just, I have, I just don't play until an expansion comes out. And then I pay 50 bucks, you know, for an expansion to get some of the cards. And I don't get any of the cards I want. And there's no way to get the cards I want. And I said, you know what? Hearthstone is a money vortex that is unfair to its players. It's also supported by Blizzard, which I'm not happy with at the moment. And the bottom line is I'm done. I'm done trying. I used Mm -hmm. to be huge in Hearthstone. I, I loved it. And I love it still for that nostalgia factor to an extent. I mean, if I didn't play Hearthstone, I wouldn't be playing Tesla. That's a pretty common story, right? Um, sure. But I'm just like, you know what? Hands up. I'm done with it. I just can't I can't justify it. I don't, want, I don't ever say, I want to play Hearthstone. When I sit down at my computer, I'll, I, I'll might say, okay, I've got some time to kill before work, or you know, I'm, I'm back. I've got some time before I want to go to bed. What do I want to play? Sometimes I'll look at Tesla and boot it up. You know, sometimes I'll look at Mythgard and boot it up. Sometimes I'll get Dota Underlords, and I'll boot that up. I have not booted up Hearthstone in, like, five months. (laughs) And I just realized, like, why keep trying? I think think in my mind, it's my mind's like, you've put so much into this. Like, you need to stick with it, right? But at this point, it's just like, I, I, I have, and I need to accept that I paid that money for the time and enjoyment that I had, or I put mm-hmm. those time into grinding out quests for the enjoyment that I had. It does not guarantee my commitment going forward, even though I have all these, maybe I can sell my account. That's not a thing, is it? Not, not supposed to. Okay. I'm not going to do that. And I can't confirm or deny if I did that with mine. Um, right. <laughs> really, really cheap um because i just didn't want the temptation to go back to it. it's like burning the boats right like i don't know there's yeah. a, an explorer who burned all of his explorers boats i don't know it's kind of yes, what you gotta do with our stuff yeah that's what i had to do with world of warcraft you gotta burn the boats um yeah. so uh yeah i you know the one cool thing about legends of runeterra is the artwork is just like a little bit friendlier and the games are pretty freaking short I like they are say, not long games 
I have to say the board is very pretty to look at. Oh my like, god. I'm, it was soothing. Yes. I was looking at the board and I was like, this is a pretty, pretty board. Yes. I could get behind looking at this for, you know, a hundred games. Yeah. You know? The board is pretty. The voice lines are funny. The the artwork is friendly. There's a lot of the that Hearthstone like sort of emanates the 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 gameplay because the artwork. I'm done on Hearthstone. Um, Elder Scrolls Legends because Legends is a relatively serious game and the artwork is relatively serious and, and the music is serious. The boards are serious. Like it puts you in that place. Legends of Runeterra is friendlier and pl- it's it's playful. Like there's well, an I, element of it that it's playful and the games are really short. Like the games don't you don't feel like you lacked gameplay, but mm-hmm. it's not common for them to go longer than ten or fifteen, ten or twelve rounds. Right. Well, even I've if you're playing about, control. I've said this about Hearthstone for a long, long time, which is the best thing. The best thing about Hearthstone is the peripheral art and voice lines and the it, playing Hearthstone and play, playing a card, dragging a card onto the board is fun. That simple, like, it's the same reason why, like, like the loot box mechanics in Overwatch, right? I mean, they, they were like, people were analyzing them from a psychology perspective, which is, you know, why people spend a bunch of money on loot boxes. And part of that is that they hire psychologists to come in and mm-hmm. say, you know, make this video visually and audi- auditorially stimulating and exciting. Mm-hmm. And fun. and that's what Hearthstone does really, really well. The voice lines are hilarious. My, my buddies and I still quote some of the, you know, older Hearthstone voice lines and stuff like that. You know, I mean, the, can, like the Leper Gnome, dude, I <laughs> loved that card, right? Um, sure. And, and it's, they are fun to play and the boards are fun and creative and you have the little clickables and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah. And, and I looked at, I looked at Runtara when I was, I mean, I didn't really pay very close attention to be completely honest. Cause I didn't know the rules and I didn't really know what I was looking at. Um, but I was, I looked at it and I said, you know what? Outside looking in here, but that board is pretty. That yeah. board isn't just pretty. It's friendly, mm-hmm. you know, and it, oh, it, yes. it makes you smile. And that's something that like none of these other card games have done in the way that Hearthstone has done. Mm-hmm. And Legends of Runeterra does that in spades. It's playful. It's bright. It's enjoyable to look at. It's fun to drag the cards into the board. It's fun to drag your cards into attack. It's fun to swipe across your board. You grab one card and you swipe through and it picks up all the ones that you swipe through. And then you can <laughs> throw them all on the board. There's something There's something very enjoyable. To, and the voice lines are enjoyable. The leveling up of your heroes is, mm-hmm. is very satisfying and then once you level them up it levels up all the other copies in your deck um so when you draw them in the future they're going to be leveled up and it's enjoyable to try to stop your opponent from doing that um there's a lot of really good things going on here the depth of strategy isn't there it's not it's not going to be it's not created to be you're not going to come against a telvani deck that on turn 14 is going to play, um, you know, 15 cards uh, and combo off and then give everything, um, you know, a drain and charge and everything else and then, and then attack. It's not it's never going to exist in this game. You're going to have right. a pretty straightforward game plan. Most people are going to be able to understand what that is. But the complexity comes in the, the attacking and the defending when to play cards, when to attack, how to defend. There's a great deal of complexity to master here without mm-hmm. randomness, and that creates a much more deep game than what Hearthstone created, in my opinion. Um, 
which I, I think that there's something there to dig into. All of that to say, that's 30 set, that's 35 minutes on <laughs> anything except Tessel. Uh, Man. What, what, well, like, like, I mean, hey, listen, we're Legends cast, mm-hmm, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever Legends uh, that may question. So now we're going to spend the next 20 minutes talking about Apex Legends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then we're going to dive into a deep dis- a deck discussion on Legend of the Five Rings. Oh, it would go deep. <laughs> I would fall asleep before DBN was done. But you're not wrong. I mean, Legends cast... Uh, Legends of Runtara and Elder Scrolls Legends, all one key word in the three of them. Uh, you know, maybe sometime in 2020, you're going to see in every other episode on a couple different games if we get into it enough. There might be the opportunity there. Um, but I don't know about you, man. You want to you want to jump into some news here about what's going on in Legends? History shall remember this day. Uh, if only to say that I haven't been paying attention to any news. I hear there's rumors floating around that we might get a balance patch in the next two weeks or so. Um, I mean, I think it's not anything that CVH has said or anything, but like, you know, uh, based on trends, saying, okay, we might see something in the next two weeks. Uh, I just saw a couple people talking about they are expecting one to be rolled out at some point. Uh, so I don't know how much validity there is to that, but. I don't, I don't know. I haven't played enough to really know what needs to be nerfed or buffed or anything. Yeah, I played a little bit this week. Um, got to play against a lot of Guild Sworn. Um, I hate Guild Sworn. Yeah. Well, it, the hard part is you don't know whether you're playing against an aggressive token, a combo invade, a tempo invade, or a rage control. Yeah, or, um, I mean, there are, and there's different, there's proactive controls, there's reactive controls, there's, like, what, what, what Ian Bits amused, amused me by calling removal pile guild sworn. Just all the removal. Just everything that says removes enemy things that I'm putting into a deck. Yeah, I mean, there's just too many, there's just so many ways to play guild sworn and, and I, bleh, A lot. So we did get a confirmation here inside of chat, uh, slides, oh, I can't, I'm not going to even try to pronounce your name. Uh, we got a confirmation that CVH did confirm on stream, the Legend stream this week, that they are working on a fix. So that probably means some more adjustments to cards coming down the pike. Don't know exactly what that's going to be, but that, I mean, that is news. That's news. I mean, yeah, cool. I mean, so, I, again, like what's getting fixed? I, I mean, I... Gosh, I'm throwing all of my, uh, what is it, uh, all of my ethos out the window here. You know, nobody nobody should listen to me because I haven't played enough to know what the problem is. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, um, yeah, I, I, just, I, I just haven't played. I mean, honestly, for me, like, distance makes the heart grow fonder. That's where I've been at recently. Every mm-hmm. time I boot it up and play, I have fun. I do. I genuinely am having fun with Tesla right now. But it's because I haven't been playing a whole lot. I, and I know that. I know that that's why. And I'm okay with it. You know, I, I sit down and I play some Bone Armor OTK and I have a blast. I sit down and I play, you know, self-damage and I have a blast. Like, that's just where I'm at. Yeah, I, I haven't really been playing competitive decks. I've been I've been jumping into complete quests. Um, I've told around with uh, some more Goblin stuff uh Went back to an old Mary deck that I enjoyed playing with some dragons in it. Um, That's that, cool. That was fun. Um, you know, Kalgrantid is always a fun card. So, 
um, play, play a little bit of that. But uh, I have noticed the latter is definitely polluted by Guildsworn in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but but here's the other thing that I'm noticing, right? Like the meta has just kind of shifted back to um, tribunal, uh, rage guild sworn. Like that's my thing, right? Like I'm well, queuing into de- they are now defining the environment. Yes, and so like I'm, I'm queuing into these games, and I'm like, I don't even want to play this right now. <laughs> like I don't, I don't have any desire to play another game against this type of deck. Like even if I know that I probably have the advantage and I likely can win, I'm like I just don't want to do it. Like I just don't want to play against your cards anymore. I'm bored with your cards. Um, Sure. So, which is like, I, I really feel like we're getting to a point where Legends, like, we need to hear some clarification around a card rotation. Like, I right. I really feel like we're at that point. Like, if I'm worried to a certain extent about the future of the game without some announcement, some anything, well, some word about a rotation. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like to a certain degree, we are a beating a dead horse here because, I mean, we've been talking about this for months. I talked and about I mean, it on, like, episode two. Like, where's the yeah. card rotation? Well, and here's the thing. I have seen some discussion on Twitter where people were like, not, not again, none of this is from CBH or anyone involved with Spark Fantasy Festival. But they're saying Tessel may not ever do a rotation. Because rotation has been negatively received uh, from the kind of hot, like wider player base, not the competitive player base, not the player base of streamers and content creators, but from the wider player base of like you know the average person who just plays on their phone, right? So the 50 to 75 percent, you know, of the player base which really doesn't pay attention to anything outside, they might get to rank five every month, right? Mm-hmm. That in games like Hearthstone, particularly, um, rotation has been negatively received and they've lost players. And that yeah. potentially, and I'm not defending this position, but that potentially Tesla is concerned about that and doesn't want to uh, go down the rotation road and would rather instead look for alternative solutions. Now, I think that's stupid. Yeah, you know, there isn't an but, alternative solution. Well, I would love to hear one, but nobody's given one, and I can't think of one. So, I mean, unless you want to start doing things where, unless, and seriously, like maybe this is an option. May, unless you want to start doing things where you can only play cards, like when you build a deck, you choose from three sets. And you can only play cards from those three sets. And so as you progress, if you have. 13 Elder Scrolls Legends expansions. Mm-hmm. When you build a deck, you can choose Corset and uh, Moons and uh, Dark Brotherhood. And you can only pl- build your deck with the cards of those three sets. I mean, that's a rotation, in effect. Yeah. Oh, that's so complex. I mean, is it? I mean, I don't know. Again, I just, that literally just came to my head, right? But oh, some yeah, people, yeah, I mean, yeah. you could look at something, but but I think their biggest concern isn't complexity. I mean, people that stick around and play Tesla clearly don't have issues with complexity, right? But their issue instead is with the fact that they don't want to lose cards that they perceive themselves to have paid or invested time or money in, 
right? Yeah. And you're taking away something that I own. That's the that's the mentality there. And I know because I originally, when Hearthstone had its first rotation, I was kind of bummed out. I was like, what? But I really like my Ragnaros and Sylvanas and, you know, whatever. Well, those are actually Corset cards that got killed. Yeah, those, those uh, are Hall of Fame. You, you, those are yeah, Hall of Fame. Famers, which I'm still bummed about. Uh, but I really liked Ragnaros a lot. Die Insect is one of my favorite things. Just I would scream it along with him, you know. Uh, well, but here, things like that. Yeah, I, I, I listen. I get that. I get that you don't want to lose the player base, but it's like I don't. This is a really bad. This is a really bad analogy. But like, if my two-year-old daughter goes out to the driveway and she wants to swallow gravel, um, <laughs> and she's really, really upset with me. Because she's not allowed to swallow the gravel. It is not responsible of me as her father to say, honey, I'm going to let you swallow gravel because it's what you want the most, right? It's because I know that when she swallows the gravel, she's not going to be happy with her life later that day, right? Because she swallowed gravel and that's what birds do, not what humans do. And it's like, okay, sure. Like you can choose not to do a rotation because a bunch of people who give you a certain amount of money, but aren't heavily invested in this game, think that they would have bad feelings about it, but they will have significantly worse feelings later when they try to poop gravel because you didn't give them a card (laughs) rotation. And like, that's like, I'm I'm like, okay, you don't just give people what they want as a leader. You give people what they need, even if they don't know what they need. And I honestly cannot imagine a game being successful without a card rotation. And it's just like, it's, yeah, maybe that's too critical. Well, okay. So first off, hilarious analogy uh second off i don't i don't know if i like the reasoning of um i know what you want or i know what you i know what's good for you therefore i'm gonna do it because i'm in power like i think that's a very dangerous line of thinking not saying that you're applying that outside of any outside of the scope of tessel but like that's a very that's one of those things where you genuinely have to sit and think like what where it is the, where am I limiting this because eventually when it comes to a business point of view that can you can just as well end up punting away all of your customers to a competitor sure you know what that's I mean fair. because like it when you start playing you know Big Brother Bethesda right and telling everyone what's good for them if they don't feel like that's good for them that's even worse than doing nothing. You know what I mean? Um, and so, I mean, when when everybody has that spark of hope that they're going to get what they want, they'll get they'll they'll so a lot of them will hang in there. And I think we've seen that with the Tesla community. Tesla has been the Tesla community has been abundantly patient. Uh, I with, think so for lots of things, and and shouldn't have had to be put in that position. I agree. I'm not. I'm playing devil's advocate a bit here, but I'm simply going off this idea. Like I get why they're in a pickle. Because sure. Tesla Sparky Pants is in a pickle with what to do for rotation. Now, me, Ian, really wants rotation because I am of the more competitive variety who understands to a much greater degree, you know, the just the foundational aspects of this game. I understand the meta and, and those sort of things a lot more than your average Joe who boots up and plays on his phone. Am I at the point where I'm going to denigrate that person's, you know, uh, emotional reaction to, 
oh my god, I just spent all that time crafting my Daggerfall mages. Shit, they're gone. Sure, what am I gonna uh, do? Even if he gets refunds, it's it still feels like a waste of time. You know, even if he gets the refunds, it's it's still a negative emotion, and I and there's nothing we can really do to remove that negative emotion. Okay, and it's really hard for somebody who isn't someone like us who's played card games for a long time. You know, and who maybe isn't tuned into our podcast, doesn't understand the reasons why rotation is important. It isn't – they may not see, wait, you're taking cards away and that's supposed to make the game better, but now there's less choices. You see what yeah. I mean? Like, like I, 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 we know that that's not a good – we know that's not true. We know that rotation would be good for this game. We know it. Mm-hmm. But they don't know it. And so, and that's why Sparky Pants and Bethesda are just, are, I know that they're agonizing and I've got to imagine there are voices on either side screaming at each other in the weekly meetings when they, whenever it gets brought up, you know? Sure. Um, and so and like, I, I got that a little bit more for Hearthstone, right? Because you, you went from a standard to a wild rotation and wild clearly did not get the support that standard rotation did. And it never was going to get the support. And so even if you were a competitive player, you're like, wow, I ground out all these games. I got all these cards and now I can't use them in the format that I want to play them in. But it's not like Tessel has a competitive format. Um, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about the people who are competitive. We had Endozo on last week, but no one's no one's grinding games for a million dollar tournament in Tesla because it doesn't exist. Well, just because just because there's not a prize pool doesn't mean there isn't a competitive community. I mean that has always existed in any game. There's always people who try to play the game to the highest level, with or without rewards. I mean you see that in every game. The World of Warcraft, even if there's no rewards, they'll, they'll I mean, obviously, if there's in-game rewards and stuff like that. I mean, you, you take any game and there's somebody trying to optimize it. I mean, sure, but if you do a rotation change. with a standard a standard set of cards and an eternal format where you can go and play all the cards in, and Bethesda's sure. not incentivizing financially either of the two, that you have an equally competitive competitive scene both in your format where all the cards are viable and a format where a limited set of cards are viable, or even keep that being the competitive scene, but give us options, give us a format where it I, is. Don't financially back the one no, that only I, plays I, the latest three sets. Fina- I, I agree. I agree that based on the level of, you know, financial involvement, I guess I would say um, that I think a wild format would be a solid, um, you know, approach is say, hey, we're not getting rid of your cards permanently. You can still play them in this other format. Make a third ladder. You have arena ladder, you have standard ladder, and you have wild ladder. I think that'd be fine. I will say, I, though, I don't the think part they should the ever just why, get rid of cards. Well, I don't think, and Hearthstone hasn't either, mm-hmm. right? But I, I will say with Hearthstone, the part of the reason why wild, you're, and you hit the nail on the head here, part of the reason why wild wasn't overwhelmingly accepted, you know, was that. One, what you said, which is that from a monetary perspective, the tournaments and all, you can't make money really with wild. You make the money in standard because they're pushing you to buy the new cards. Get that. Yes. But there's that second reason. And this is really important. And I think this, I think a lot of people would underestimate the value of this. You have a large portion of players uh, who are also content consumers. Okay, mm-hmm. they're not content creators. They may not even be active members of the community, but they exist. Content consumers. These are the people that tune in and listen to this show and may never join our Discord. These are the mm-hmm. people that watch my videos and Silverfuse's videos and DT Blade's videos and don't comment. They maybe like the video. They don't engage outside of that, but they consume it. Here's the problem. 
are the content creators, you, me, DT Blade, Silverfuse, Laser Edition, or the competitive players, Endozoa, Super Thanks, Thule Deer, none of us are going to play Wild. And that's what happened to Hearthstone. Yeah, that's None true. of the content creators touched Wild. They still don't. You know, every once in a while, one of them, Disguise Toast, will get a, a whim of some crazy weird combo he can do in Wild. He plays it for like one or two streams and never goes back to it and touches it again. Why? Because that's not where the innovation is happening. And that's not where the competitive scene is happening. And frankly, anybody who played for a long enough time doesn't want to go back to the world where, you know, greed piles of... of tribunal or or a thing nobody and nobody wants to go back to the 75 cards of good stuff right we are sick of it we're the ones who wanted the rotation why are we going to spend our time in wild and therefore the consumers are going to say wait i thought wild was a thing does nobody touch wild and it does it either makes them frustrated because they're like well i want to see wild content because that's what i have cards for or two it makes them say oh i, I don't want i can't play wild nobody else plays wild i'm not cool if i don't play if i play wild like all the cool kids play standard. Like that's a herd mentality there, you know? Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. And if they do do a rotation with an eternal format and keep a standard format, you're right. The, those of us who play the game seriously are not going to play in that eternal format very often because quite frankly, we're sick of it and we don't want to. And we know what's healthy for the game. You know, I don't, I, I do, I do agree with the fact that the, I, I agree with the fact that you you don't really want the big brother. I'm controlling everything, and I'm going to tell you what you want. Um, but I do think, as Bethesda and as Sparky Pants, you do have to step out and say, "Listen, I know this isn't what's popular right now for a bulk or for a portion of our community, but we do know what's best for our game, and we want to like we want to do what is best for our game because we know what will happen." Two years yeah. down the road, for the people who say they don't want this, we know what they're going to be saying two years down the road when there are only players left. Yeah. And they're now leaving because they also don't want to play against Ice Storm anymore. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because realistically, the people who are saying, I don't want to play Ice Storm anymore against Ice Storm anymore because I've been grinding hundreds and hundreds and thousands of games, the, the people who are grinding a tenth of that in you know, 10 months from now are going to be saying the same things because they will have grinded the same amount of games against the same <laughs> amount of cards. They just haven't yeah. grinded the games that are necessary that competitive and, and serious players have yet. And I'm nothing against the casual player, nothing against the guy who plays it on the phone. That's how I started playing Legends. Yeah, I played Legends in between Hearthstone expansions just to check out and see what was happening when I got bored with Hearthstone. But I, like, I'm looking at this game and I'm like, I genuinely, it's, it's not even for me. It's not a matter of, Oh, I don't want to bum people out. I'm like, are you going to be bummed out when the game isn't here anymore? Because if you don't get a rotation, I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, look, I've been playing devil's advocate to an extent, less because I don't want rotation, but more because I'm kind of... What I don't want is everybody hitting the panic button and saying, you know, rotation is the only solution. Because I don't... I don't know if I strictly believe that. I believe I believe there's got to be a way. I mean, I kind of like now more than I'm thinking about. It, I kind of liked my idea of pick three sets. You can build a deck out of any cards from those three sets, or whatever. You can make the number four. It does, I don't care. Sure. Right? Yeah. But then, but then, if you want to play lunar, a lunar build, you have to play moons, which means mm-hmm. you have to forfeit alliance war. 
if you if you're gonna wear core and moons and you know uh, dark brotherhood you're forfeiting the barrow stalker from clockwork you know you're forfeiting your whatever from uh from skyrim Mm -hmm. and so like i think that could be interesting to kind of mitigate the insanely optimized best 75 cards in the format builds that i have i honestly think that's the bigger problem i mean anybody that anybody that complains about tricolor i think re i think largely not entirely but largely is actually feeling frustrated with the fact that a tricolor deck does not feel the inherent restriction of having to run more cards because they can run 75 Mm -hmm. 75 absolutely gangbusters cards and open themselves up to even more degenerate combos than a 50 card deck albeit with slightly reduced consistency but the idea of having to run bad cards to fill in the 75 card deck or maybe not even bad cards but like suboptimal cards you know is not there they have redundancy across you know three colors they have redundancy at every slot to get exactly what they want you know Mm -hmm. if they really want a beefy three drop right they can run young mammoth you know, and then they can go over and grab a three-four from this other thing, and grab a you know a warded three-three with Doomfang ally or whatever. You know, and and they can have you know all of their three drops can effectively be as good as Young Mammoth, right? Or at Which, least provide the same role that Young Mammoth is providing if they want to do that, right? And so like, and not to mention, of course, the fact that control decks can now just cherry pick the best of this. I'll take one of these and I'll take one of these. And I'll take one of these, right? Because there's that many good things that inherent, I think, design intention of 75 cards, you're going to have to include some suboptimal things or maybe some like higher, you know, less, uh, or some more risky cards, cards that are not as good in not as many situations. Like that's, that's gone. So what people are feeling when they complain about tricolor is really just as valid in 50 card decks it's just like in 75 card decks you see it whereas in 50 card decks you have to make really tough choices about what do i cut you know and then it's like okay well they're sacrificing a little bit of you know this for this other thing and 75 card decks you just i mean you look at that and you say oh my gosh like there's no bad card in here this idea of having to run 25 extra cards is more of a benefit than is Mm -hmm. uh, a liability at this point and it's not tricolor it's the card pool's too big. Well, it's two things, right? It's it's a combination of the fact that the card pool is too big, and we have a strictly linear, uninterrupted mana curve, right? You have a yeah. perfect mana curve, on, and, and so consistency is is it, it is de- it diminishes in importance when you have that uninterrupted mana curve but you're right it's a card pool issue i was playing legends of runeterra obviously it has a very small card pool right now i was playing aggro and i was like i literally can't make a 40 card deck like <laughs> yeah like i have to make a suboptimal 40 card deck and it was like kind of cool i was like okay what is the best <laughs> of these not good cards yeah. um that I can play to play aggro because I can't just play strictly aggro cards. I got to play some cards that probably aren't don't belong in aggro, but I don't really have any other options to put them in here because I have a small card pool. Um, and that can be frustrating because you don't have the options available to you. But at the same time, um, it was, it was, it, it forced me to be a little bit creative and I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, I mean, that was a little bit refreshing to me. Like if you think about aggro these days, no one ever, will play a 2-2 stat line. No. It will not see play. Unless it's name, you will never 
ever play a card uh, that has worse than a uh, five uh, five stat distribution, a two three or a three two. You will never play anything that is worse than that unless its name is Wordcrafter or Shrieking Heartbeat. I mean, yeah, you, or maybe some you know, turn ones, right? Well, I'm saying at two, at, at the two, uh, at two, sure, right? Like it has to have a absolutely ridiculous effect, like Shrieking Harpy does, and like Wordcrafter does, because when you think about Wordcrafter, it actually is at minimum a four-one. Four-one, yeah, or really well, a four-two. It's, it's, it's a really a that. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's like really four infinite life on the first one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, and so like Wordcrafter is actually insane stat lines and if you really want to think about it this way you could even argue the tricking harpy is a 2-1 you know that says save yourself any amount of life that you want or protect any the, the protect <laughs> the life protect the life of any creature you want right like i mean yeah like so so i mean y- you've got mournhold trader which is this beacon of amazing aggro and then you're also running, like, you also have your choice of, like, Wily Kivas if you're in yellow, you know, Slinking Two Jackals. Fours. Slinking four Jackals! Fours. Slinking Jackals sees play. I mean, I, I, one I'll, admit, I, I'll admit I, I under, underrated that. Uh, yeah, you've got the one, the Brotherhood Suspect, which I really love that card. I really like it. Uh, you know, um, I mean, it's just at the point now. I mean, Surin Pawnbroker is getting cut now. Which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, good. I wouldn't do it, but some people do. You know, yeah, uh, it's crazy. And, and I'm finding like in aggro right now in this game, if you are not exploding out of the board in turn one, you're too slow to play aggro. I mean, like, one drops are seeing an insane increase. First off, one drops have been getting steadily buffed. I'm going to I'm going to toot my own horn here a minute. Uh, I wrote an article a, over a year ago talking about the state of one drops in Elder Scrolls Legends on Team Rank Stars. Uh, page. It was actually the first article I wrote for Team Star before I was a member. And in it, I talked about the one drops that are played and why none of the other one drops are played. Um, and since that time, we've seen steadily an increase in the play of one drops because we've been steadily seeing an increase in the power level of one drops to be able to compete with two drops. And that's the important thing because the ring naturally warps this idea. If I, if I play a one drop, and its name is not Crown Quartermaster, like, it's not trading into anything, right? Your opponent plays Dust a two-drop. Dust Skirmisher. No. Well, I'm, I'm saying back then. Oh, back then. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. Then. That's true. If you didn't play Crown Quartermaster, and then they play, if you played Crown Quartermaster and they played a two-drop, you can trade into it with the dagger, but it screws up your mana curve for the next turn, right? But um, because you're not establishing two-drop, you're instead playing a dagger to trade with the two-drop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the good news with Quartermaster is obviously you can hold the dagger for later, so you don't even have to do that if you don't want to. But um, now we see Dusty or Skirmisher. We see Brotherhood Suspect, which admittedly doesn't necessarily kill the creature in the trade, uh, but it does survive the trade, right? Sure, um, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and we see Dusty or Skirmisher trades up. Yeah. Um, I mean, heck, Sometimes I, into your three drop, often into your three drop, actually. Yeah. And we see the the uh, one mana two two the Dominion Oathman see play every once in a while, especially in you know hyper aggro assassin builds, uh, because it just basically says one mana two two that immediately deals two damage. Um, mm-hmm. It's worth it, right? Uh, and then the Midnight Trespasser, the Midnight Trespasser we see play sometimes uh, because even even though on one it's understated, um, it come it can come in and be overstated for one later like in the mid game. Mm-hmm. So I mean that. 
the point is one drops are they're, they're they're improving the potency of one drops with the intent of we they're not seeing play they're basically irrelevant and now that they're relevant aggro has sped up so much whether it's a good thing or bad thing you tell me but it has it's the, the uh, it's really 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 and it, it 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 almost has to right because a control has so many options right now that if you're not exploding onto the board on turn one and playing heavily aggressive on turn one, you cannot race control decks right now. You just right. can't. They're too efficient at dealing with your board. They can deal with your board too early. They have too many options um, at their disposal. Tri-Keller control is very, very strong at oppressing aggro. So your aggro decks can't be you, they, they have to be so fast. Like, they have to be really fast right now. Like, I don't know. I was playing uh, Empire, and it was like, I was like, if I don't have a turn one card in my hand, like, I, and you're playing Tribunal or Guild's War, I can just surrender. Like, if, I, if I'm not, <laughs> if I'm not coming on the board on turn one or ringing on turn with a two drop, like, it's just not, it's hardly worth me even playing against you because I'm just not going to be fast enough because they can play like Harpies and Wardcrafters and things that are going to be able to compete for the board early in the game super efficiently. Um, well, you know, you I just, think, I mean, I think, you, I mean, you're right. That may not be the best place for Tesla to be in. I will say there's something to be said for, if you know that that's the reality, you need to build your deck less greedy. not you but people need yes, to build uh, their deck less greedy with the idea of we do have a mulligan phase to ideally find those cards that can answer and so maybe increasing those twos and threes uh or dropping an extra defensive one drop in the deck like a deep wood trapper or shoot the 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 one drop that we were just talking about dusty the skirmisher can be defensive if you want it to be you know mm-hmm. oh great i can kill that wordcrafter phew you know um but so like there's something we said for for like these archetypes having more streamlined game plans and the idea of like we as players need to learn or at least know how to adapt to them uh to be able to counter their more optimized lines uh is that the best place for tesla to be i don't think so only because it's not necessarily a problem when the archetype uh, has a defined game plan, that's not a problem in my mind. What the issue is when they have an insane redundancy, which I've already touched on. But mm-hmm. when you know when you know that all your two drops accomplish the same thing, you don't care what two drop you draw, right? There might be a preference. Yeah, more old trader, you know, is b- the best choice. Great. You know, but the all my other two drops are fine. They'll get the job done. You know, okay, young mammoth. Ah, darn, I didn't get Young Mammoth, but I got Haunting Spirit. Sure, yeah. Great. I got Manic Jack. Uh Cool. You know, I remember back when, and I talked about this a while ago, I remember back when Control Mage uh, was in, like, base set. Or maybe it was, no, it was uh, Skyrim, I want to say. And some people played the the two-mana 1-1 that put a random Atronach in your hand. Mm -hmm. That card was played. I mean, that's my biggest example of you know, what you were talking about with Runtara, like, oh man, I can't fill, you know, I have to, I don't have enough two drops that are super, super aggressive. I have to find something else to fit in there. You know, Um, and is that the best environment? I like those environments because I like to get, get quirky with my, you know, fill cards. Uh, But I can respect that happy medium. And honestly, I got to say, I think that people hate, on the Houses of Morrowind meta 
way more than maybe it should have been hated on, if only because um, we were stuck with it for so long. Is that you know conscription? I mean? That's conscription Telvani, right? That was that's conscription Telvani yeah. uh, meta. And there were some issues. To, you know, conscription was too strong at 11. You know, mm-hmm. when Nick Sox was, was the, the first Nick Sox nerf, I think was really important, you know. Um, but like the biggest issue there was, frankly, if you, if you can imagine that card pool, right, that amount of cards, uh, but with all the tricolors enabled to kind of even out this you know, disproportionate idea of, you know, how valuable certain cards are because they're accessible in tricolors and not like, I like the tri- the tricolors exist. I just kind of wish we had that reduced card pool, but I look back at the, the Morrowind environment and, and I say, you know, this was at the point where if it wasn't for a, you know, how long that meta lasted without any sort of fixes, without any news of new content or anything like that, I would say that that was a really good amount of total cards in the pool, um, you know, and and that was what four uh, three four sets, right? That was mm-hmm, uh, core mm-hmm. Skyrim, no five core Skyrim, uh, Brotherhood, you know, and Clockwork and Morrowind, and then two of those sets were smaller, five sets. I liked that that size, and so like looking at how we would move forward, how do you achieve that size or maybe just a little bit more yeah like three to four sets three to five i'd say because especially when you're looking at the smaller ones like you know like isle of madness and frankly i was a little bit disappointed to be honest that um this last set was not a story expansion i like story expansions i like playing that single player content i also like smaller additions to the to the card pool i think that i I don't think that we're going to see a lot more you know and I think they're done with story expansions at this point, to be honest with Which you. Which I think is I think is a mistake. I really do think it's a mistake. It allows people to go in knowing what they're getting and how much they want how much they have to spend to get that. I think that's good for the consumer. I think that's good for you know for players that otherwise might say, I don't want to spend, you know, forty dollars for packs when I'm not gonna get everything. Instead, yeah, it's a smaller content, but I can stay up to date on the game paying $25, I know exactly what I'm going to get, and I get the bonus of some single-player goodies as well. Yeah, and I personally, just as an Elder Scrolls fan guy, right, like I like that they explore parts of the Elder Scrolls universe that haven't been explored, that they're creating lore, that they're showing, like, I'm okay with Tessel contributing to the overall lore of of the Elder Scrolls universe, not just in the card game, but across the board. And I, you know what? I would love to see there be some characters or some things that we explored in Elder Scrolls Legends that come up in the mainline Elder Scrolls Six someday. You know, I think that would yeah. be really cool. We saw that in Hearthstone. We saw some of the characters that Hearthstone created incorporated into World of Warcraft eventually. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Um, love to see that because I, I, I agree. I love the single player content. I think they're done with it. Just to be honest, like I don't think I don't think Sparky wants to do it. Um, but I did like it, and I it was one of the things that drew me to Legends because Hearthstone quit doing that. Um, yeah, well, and I, and, I think, and I and I would say that was a big mistake when they did that. So, yeah. I mean, that is started when they did their last story expansion, which was Karazhan, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was like the party. That was like that was where I, that yeah, that's the one where I started uh, getting behind on on cards. 
Mm-hmm. And I never had everything. But after Karazhan, because when it, because what happened is I was building up gold, building up gold, and then Karazhan came out and I said, you know what? I love this game. I don't mind paying $20. Sure. I don't yeah. mind that. And what that's going to allow me to do is stockpile my gold and make sure that when I get to the next expansion, you know, mm-hmm. I can make sure I get 75% of it. Not mm-hmm. all of it. I never, I never 100%ed, you know, any set. Not one. All right, I played a ton of Hearthstone and I never did that. Right. I mean, it was still at that point where you get just enough to build what you, you get. You got enough to build what you wanted, but because you were able to stockpile, you know, more, I, I yeah, that was a mistake. Getting yeah. rid of, and I mean, they're paying for it right now. They are losing, they are bleeding players, you know, and it doesn't help the whole, you know, Blitzchunk thing doesn't help at all, you know, but like, even without that, they've been bleeding players for a while. They're way less relevant than they ever have been. Hearthstone made a mistake getting rid of story expansions, and I would hate to see Tussle make that same mistake. Mm-hmm. So this episode has been about a, a wide variety of things, but it's more of like a, a talking about the state of the game, I think. Yeah. Um, but we do want to talk a little bit of strategy, so let's jump into a quick strategy segment. Can I carry a weapon? Shine your boots? Back rub perhaps? Okay, so in this strategy segment, which is kind of a new thing, but it was sort of, I, I think it was provoked. This is DBN's idea, um, and it was provoked a little bit, I think, from, for me anyway, of some of the stuff we had with Endozoa last week, where I was like, oh, it'd be cool to talk a little more dips. So we're talking about axes today, and I'll be honest with you. I, I said, yeah, let's talk about that, and I, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so you're going to have to start our conversation off on the axes of Elder Scrolls Legends for strategy talk. Oh, well, to start with, um, Endozoa has a way more in-depth explanation with this. It's, I think it's still, it was like over a year ago that he did this on his channel um, where he got, I mean, really deep into it. And I'm trying to not get too deep into it. Sure. Um, I'm just going to, we're going to talk about two axes. Um, axes? Axes? Okay. Uh-huh. I don't know how to, I don't know what the plural of axes is. Axapi? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's definitely it's definitely axapi out of all the options axapi is, <laughs> is the one perfect yeah that's it um and we're going to talk about the two main ones um that i think indozoa who is the kind of the person that brought this not he didn't innovate this philosophy but kind of brought this to the minds of you know tesla players um i'm sure there's a bunch of stuff on this when it comes to magic but uh in the case of trying to apply this i, I kind of wrote and actually recorded uh, for the Master Chief, as you guys probably saw on Team Ringstar's thing, we would run these in the commercial break, or not the commercial breaks, we'd run these in the breaks between games, cast and matches. Uh, we do these kind of um, little videos where we talk about different things. And I, this is the one I kind of wrote on, um, was the deck axis. Um, and, and so, like, first off, um, the whole reason to understand deck axis is to understand the game plan and how it wants to implement its game plan of your deck or your opponent's deck. Um, it helps you kind of figure out how it wants to play and how the cards work together. Um, now, this is in general, not in specific. So obviously in specific, you have things like, oh, here's my Gardener of Swords, and it wants to work together with my Satanine Courier. That's in specific. But when you look at in general, uh, you look at how cards that want to, you know, how fast they want to play. Are they reactive? Are they proactive? How do you evaluate a card and understand its like role in a deck? 
Um, and then, of course, identifying a deck's general game plan. This can actually be really helpful on ladder if, you, if you're still learning the game, you don't know all the decks. So even if you do know the decks and the types of cards, sometimes, and, and Endozoa talked about this uh, last week, if you guys recall, he talked about how you can make text to these different ideas. So, for instance, like a control tribunal, you can have extremely reactive builds that have all of the removal. Um, and then you can also have these more proactive, closer to mid-range decks that have lots and lots of guards, right? Uh, they both accomplish the same thing, which is to slow the game down and stall, and that's control. That's a that's a play style, right? Um, mm -hmm, but what mm -hmm. we're talking about is this axis of how it wants to achieve that goal. So, okay, sure. Um, when you're evaluating a deck list, I think the two more, most important ones to start with, and there's access for all sorts of other things, all sorts of other things. But the most important ones, in my opinion, um, are fast and slow, mm -hmm. proactive and reactive. Now, it's important to note fast and slow don't necessarily mean aggro and control. That, that's that's not what we're talking about here. Um, fast decks want to win quickly, whether it's by building a powerful board state, uh, which is traditionally assumed to be aggro. Aggro is not actually, you know, aggro can be reduce your opponent to zero life. Um, but traditionally, that's like a burn play style, right? Aggro wants to establish a board presence that is so strong that it cannot possibly lose. The opponent can't come back from. That's actually how aggro wins. That's why you take certain trades um, that you wouldn't normally trade with, right? If mm -hmm. you're only going face, right, um, that's not necessarily what aggro wants to do. Aggro is this idea of building that board state um, so that, okay, if I take this trade, now I keep a creature and my opponent doesn't keep a creature. And so they play another creature, and now I play two more creatures and take another favorable trade, whether it's with a cloud rest. All of a sudden, they cannot come back onto the board. Of course, cards like Debilitate and Ice Storm exist to mitigate that, right? Sure. Um, but in general, um, you can a fast deck can win by building a very powerful board state, one in which it cannot come, the opponent cannot come back from, and at which you have such a strong board that you cannot lose. Um, so think about a deck where you're you've got four or five creatures and most of them have above four health. Well, now even that ice storm is not going to do the trick. Uh, sure. But another fast deck could be assembling combo pieces. Okay, I mean in many ways a fast deck could be that really crazy burn build before um, before it got Lento Hex Mage uh, got nerfed, if you recall. Um, that Burn Assassin build was pretty fast. I mean, it wasn't the fastest if you put it on a sliding scale. And again, we're talking about an axis. We're not talking about is it one thing or another. It's how far on that scale are we, right? Sure. But a, com a deck that wants to assemble combo pieces as fast as humanly possible, that's a fast deck versus a deck that wants to slow the game down while it assembles combo pieces. They're both, they're both combo, but they're mm -hmm. achieving that at a different pace. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side of things, uh, if we're working on the slow and fast access, um, slow decks will operate on win conditions that become much more viable later in the game. Um, for a control, a lot of time, that's simply run the opponent out of cards, right? Sure. That could be a control win condition is run the opponent out of cards. Uh, another controlling win condition, I'm, again, I'm, I want, I'm separating slow and control, even though control is almost always slow, Um but you can look at something like assembling, uh, you know, a one-turn kill combo. So like a, a rage combo, right? Or a flesh astronaut combo. And those things are only viable later in the game. Um, because Even to a certain extent, the hand buff decks could be considered slow. Right. Oh, absolutely. Hand buff mm -hmm. decks are definitely slow. 
Um, and these decks want to win, but they can only win later in the game when they have more resources, they have more mana. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that that is when their win conditions become viable. Um, and then on the other side of things, right, we have uh, proactive versus reactive. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. And, and this one's really, this is the real where it gets really interesting. I mean, I think fast and slow largely are kind of obvious. And I mean, obviously, you can have fast decks that build the big board states, symbol computers, maybe something else entirely, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and slow decks typically you're you're they're rhyming with with control. But um, but proactive is kind of designed. Um, it's less separate from the speed and more about how they're advancing their game plan, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what their opponent is doing, right? So so proactive cards. Um, you play them, doesn't really matter what your opponent's doing, right? You're mm-hmm. by playing this card, you're advancing uh, your win condition. So for aggro, playing aggressive creatures um, can be an aggro proactive play. Young Mammoth is an exceptionally proactive card, right? It doesn't do anything to your opponent, but it, so it does. I think a, I think Deviate a really really good example of this is in green, both two drops, a proactive play. Is Mournhold Trader a reactive play? Um, would be Fighters Guild Recruit, right? Both two drops, oh, yes. Both in green. One is clearly proactive. One is clearly reactive. Largely, yes. I mean, there are situations where I think your Fighters Guild uh, Recruit could be a um, a proactive pro, a play. proactive play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but a better example, really, here uh, would be, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna actually, this is actually a really interesting dynamic here uh, I, with proactive, like um, ramping Magicka. A control mm-hmm. deck like uh, like Ramp Warrior or or Ebonheart. Ramping Magicka is a proactive way. The win condition is slow, which is you need the Magicka to play these big uh, swingy plays like a Rage uh, or a Flesh Edge Knock OTK or something like that. Um, but you have to get there not just by sitting around, uh, but by actively ramping your Magicka. So in many ways, like Ramp Warrior or, for instance, like uh, or, or Ebonheart, Slay Ebonheart or something like that, um, these are proactive control decks, largely. Now, there are still reactive tools. So it wouldn't be a 10 on the sliding scale of you know proactive, but they're mm-hmm. proactive games. Uh, establishing synergistic board states. Uh, so, for instance, like um, putting out that Gardener of Swords, right? I mean, if, you're pl- if I'm playing my mid-Daggerfall deck, it's a largely proactive deck. Um, my Gardener of Swords isn't really messing with my opponent, uh, but it's setting up synergistic plays that are going to advance my overall win condition of trading with my opponent's creatures and building a strong, powerful board um, that has survived that early game aggression and can now turn and win across one or two turns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually, a really good example of um, kind of a non or kind of a proactive deck that is not aggressive would be like uh, the old Miracle Scout, right? I mean, that was a combo deck that was almost entirely proactive. You'd play all these cards, and you wouldn't care what your opponent did. Mm-hmm. You know, you assemble that win in the mid you know, to late game through your board-centric card draw and the combos of playing those creatures into the lane with Disciple of the Mirror and your Thieves' Guild fence, but you'd play the creatures, and even though those creatures aren't attacking face, those creatures are advancing your win condition because they're assembling a draw engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think very similar to um, even even now, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. what was the invade combo deck versus yeah. like control tribunal, right? Invade combo, even how it is now, is there, there's some reactive elements to it, but it's largely proactive. You don't really care what your opponent does, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to go back and you're trying to 
advance your win condition by returning gates to your hands, assembling the right cards in your hands to go off. Whereas yeah. tribunal, I'm a control tribunal. I'm waiting for you to do something so that I can stop you from doing it until there's nothing less to nothing left to stop you to do. Right. That's how I'm going to win. I'm going to stop everything that you're doing until there's nothing left for me to stop. And that's how I win the game. Right. So like reactive cards, which you're kind of touching on. So like these are cards that like, actively respond to your opponent's threats so mm -hmm. a channeled storm is a reactive card okay, mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. a, there's very few situations where a channeled storm is advancing your win condition i guess if you're running the uh the the dragon knight uh the the, the three mana two two dragon knight maybe that that's advancing your win condition but but a channeled storm is a reactive card disrupting your enemy's desired game plan through effects that destroy or shackle or mm -hmm. silence these are reactive effects. Um, a great example of an aggressive um, reactive deck, now not entirely, but Tempo Assassin. Tempo Assassin, to, uh, Assassin traditionally uh, has been an aggressive deck that features a wide array of reactive tools despite its fast game plan, right? Mm -hmm. So you're looking at um, Shrieking Harpies, Sanctuary Pets, um, you've got giant snakes. These are all cards that slow down what your opponent wants to do, namely their ability to play proactively and remove your things, uh, especially mm -hmm, when it comes to mm -hmm. ports. So Tempo Assassin has always been that kind of interesting niche deck, and I think Indo really kind of brought it to the forefront, but it's the deck that it's the, it's the aggro killer. Aggro wants to play all these proactive threats uh, and assemble that scary board state, um, and your Tempo Assassin deck is reacting by playing a card that can uh, uh, threaten your opponent's life total uh, while also stopping you from lowering my life total or taking trades uh, that would remove my board, a.k.a. stopping you from bringing my life to zero, which is a win condition, mm -hmm. and or stopping you from assembling a board state from which I cannot come back from, which is another win condition. Um, and so you're looking at, like, there are when you, when you first look at it, you say, oh, okay, proactive is aggro and reactive is control, but it's just it's so much like, deeper than that mm -hmm. because it doesn't actually pertain to these wide archetypes that we perceive as aggro, control, mid range, and combo. It has much to do with how you're achieving it, and that's where these deck axes are really useful. Sure, and I think that in that right, um, cards like Shrieking Harpy and Wardcrafter are very strong because it works on both sides of that axis, right? You can play yeah. Wardcrafter and and you can play uh, Shrieking Harpy as reactive tools, um, but you can also play them as very proactive tools in a slightly more aggressive build or a slightly more proactive game plan, where you oftentimes you saw these things in a mid BM that could use them as a reactive tool at the beginning of the game and then could turn them on their head and use them as an aggressive um not reactive but uh uh proactive proactive tool um mm -hmm. towards the middle of the game where they were trying to push damage and win the game and so i think there are some cards that sort of split that difference really well and those are cards that see a, a ton of play because they're very very and i think when we look at card flexibility that's one of the things that you're looking at, right? Can this card flex between reactive in situations where I need it to be reactive and proactive in situations where I need it to be proactive? And I think that flexible cards typically sort of split the difference of these axes and can do both of those things really well. Right. And so, like, all decks are going to fall somewhere on the axes. And mid-range decks often sit in the middle because, by nature, 
they blend these reactive early game cards, things that can stem that aggressive mm -hmm. tide, uh, with more proactive mid and late game cards. So, for instance, you know, in, in like mid-range um, mid uh, blue decks, right, you might see a cunning ally. Cunning ally is, at, well, in, in an interesting fashion, it does establish a creature in a proactive body. It's a, just a 3-3. But more importantly, it feeds you a fireball. Right. Mm -hmm. You have a shrieking harpy that's reactive. Right. Uh, you might have an earthbone spinner or or something. And that would be, you know, reactive. Right. And then in the late game, you have your belligerent giant, which is another card that in an interesting fashion can be both reactive and proactive. Mm -hmm. uh, but or vigilant giants, mighty conjurings, Alfique conjurers. These are proactive threats that are intended to uh, win the game against control. Uh, because of their resilient stat lines in the mid to late game. Um, so you you have those early game reactive cards and those proactive mid to late game cards. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why you see mid-range is true, really lives up to its name. I think one of these other axes that we see in a game, too, is the difference between tempo and value, which we've talked about before, right? Yeah. Is it a card that's just raw stats, the most powerful thing that you could put down on the board for the maximum magic that you can use on it? Then you're, you're playing a tempo card. If you're playing a card that maybe sacrifices stats but is going to give you a benefit, whether that is adding a new card to your hand or tricking something on the board. So Wardcrafter is a bad example because it's kind of both. Um, it can be high value and it can be, um, and it can be tempo. Um, so like, but, like cloud yeah. rest illusionist, mm -hmm. it's like cloud it, rest illusionist on its own without an, you know, without the effect is a pretty, is actually somewhat of a lower tempo play. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're getting, if you're generating that higher value and that's where we're talking about, like it may not sit at the full value. I mean, when you're looking at a value only card, you're looking at something like old Namira shrine, Right. Sure. I'm playing Which, this. I'm not, not getting anything out of it. Or um, uh, Mundestone. Right. Mundestone is so low tempo uh, and but really doesn't value. give you that. Yeah, some value. <laughs> uh, don't play Mundestone, guys. <laughs> uh, I hate to be that guy. You, you can play it if you want, but it's it's. it's but you shouldn't. It, it takes so long for that card to pay off its loss of tempo. You're looking at things, and that's another thing when you're looking at like value versus you know tempo versus value. Which I think is a may not be a perfect analogy, but a really but a useful one nonetheless. I, I, there might be a better word to use, but the the idea of tempo versus value. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with it because I like it. Um, if you look at that and you say, okay, I'm evaluating this card, you also have to look at how often you can get that fuller value. So for instance, Cloud Rest Illusionist is a pretty safe card to play because yeah if you have if the opponent has nothing on the board and you have to tempo out of cloud or solutionist it's a four three but it's fairly easy to use its effects it's easy to get its value of that minus four because most decks will play a creature at mm -hmm. some point mm -hmm. plus it has prophecy so it's a fairly safe high value you know lower tempo card when you're looking at a card like namira's shrine you have to say at what point in the game I mean, Namira Shrine is not even a good example because it's bad now. But let's talk old Namira Shrine. At sure, what that point was playing game, three cards to draw. Right. At what point in the game do I have the time, right, tempo, time. At what point in the game do I have the time to play four mana that does nothing for me and not, you know, and, and not lose, right? Sure. And not advance. Because sometimes at playing a really low tempo play, you advance your opponent's win condition. For instance, Divine Fervor 
can be a very low tempo play if you the can't immediately capitalize on it. So just by playing, just playing a divine fervor on five because it's good is not always necessarily a great play when you only have one creature on the board. That's, mm-hmm. That is low tempo. You yeah, at, at that point, I've lost games like that on multiple occasions where I was playing tokens and I was like, I only have two guys on the board. I have this. I could put out two creatures right now or three creatures right now or I could play fervor. I'm just going to play fervor so it's done and I have it on the board. I lose the game because of that. They remove the two creatures I have. I never regain board because I played such a, something so low tempo. They were able to take the board from me. Right. I mean, you can look at any – basically – most cards that say draw a card are a lower tempo play. Um, if there's a high, if there's an up tempo card that draws cards without any some sort of downside, it's usually overpowered, uh, and so you don't see it. So, for instance, like the best example of a higher, you know, of a of a decent tempo card that also draws you cards is like Corner Club Gambler, but it has a cost associated to it as well. Right, which is why Corner Club Gambler isn't ridiculously overpowered. If Corner Club Gambler just said, you know, start of your next turn, draw two cards, I mean, it would be broken, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and well, so you'll see things like, or, or for instance, it can if something is understated, it can be a lower tempo play. Mm-hmm. Even though you're playing it right away and getting some value from it, um, a great example would be Blood Craze Daydroth. Blood Craze Daydroth is a 3-mana three 3-2. Three, That's pretty bad average stat distribution, uh, for a three drop, you know, if you consider average stat distribution for those who aren't familiar, is the idea that you take your cost and double it and then split those stats up. So in a three drops, average stat distribution should add its health and, def- and attack to be six. Mm-hmm. So a three mana three three is extremely average stat distribution. Three mana three four, like a discerning thief, is above average stat distribution. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's all. I was just informing people. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, uh, yes. So the, the, what I was thinking was, uh, I think one of the sets that played off of this really well was was our our lunar cards, right? Um, so I think a really good example to see this in one card is the Khajiit in Endurance, that is a three mana two two silence a creature, which is going to be um, your uh, value play, or a three mana four four, which is going to be your tempo play, right? The tempo is just raw stats on the board, the most you can get on the turn for the mana you play it the other one is i'm going to sacrifice stats not do as much on the board but i'm going to go ahead and i'm going to silence a creature so i'm going to get more value out of this by silencing something on your board that's kind of i think that wax wayne really played off of that most of them like even um queen's captain right the the tempo play is the eight mana four four kill a creature the value play is the eight mana four four draw two cards i'm going longer in the game by drawing the two i'm immediately gaining board presence by killing a creature and playing a four four the other way and i think that that's what wax wayne really played off of was that axis of tempo versus value which you do have going on the important thing is when you're deck building is to look at that and say okay what is my game plan here am i playing tempo well i if i am then more and trader goes in my deck and very likely um fighters go recruit doesn't um if i'm playing more value how much value can i play because the more value you play the greedier deck gets the harder it gets to pull off what you're doing when you come up against a tempo deck that is going to try to play the best stuff at the right time. Right. And and that's where we, that's where like you'll hear the word greed thrown around. It really has to do with that balance between, you know, a good tempo play and Mm -hmm. a, um, you know, a more value centric play. So, I mean, a great example uh, is when we watched the um, master series uh, qualifiers, we started off with um, the first week we were pretty much mm, overwhelmed by the potency of Rage Ebonheart. Uh, that was a pre-nerf. 
Um, and then we said, and then we saw over the next couple of weeks, uh, especially the second qualifier, I believe, we saw a lot more Rage Ebenhardt. But what was interesting is that some of these Rage Ebenhards were teched greedier, mm-hmm. higher value. With the idea of okay, if the standard is a is a more honest, I'll say honest, as in um, built designed to handle a wider range of matchups, right? Um, with less value plays, better tempo plays, you know, plays that can, um, I mean, it comes down to you know playing honest. Okay, I'm playing against the mid range. Do I have tools that can deal with it? Playing against aggro, do I have tools that can deal with it? Uh, and we saw these greedier builds. Thin down those, you know, higher tempo plays and put devote more uh, resources into either higher value plays or, ex- you know, extended synergistic plays. Um, and so those decks that were greedier, had those higher values, were able to oftentimes close out games against the more, uh, the you know, kind of, I'll say it again, more honest uh, Rage Ebonheart. Mm-hmm. And then what happened in a very interesting fashion is that over the next uh, two weeks, uh, the third and fourth qualifier, uh, we saw people te- understanding, okay, well, if Rage Evanhart is the standard, right? And uh, greedy eight Rage and greedy Rage Evanhart was was is becoming the standard, then we can have uh, these you know higher tempo lists of our aggro. Our aggro can be, mm-hmm. you know, can have less, you know, uh, reactive tools and be much more proactive and just try to win the game before they can do anything because their the redundancy of their early game, you know, reactive plays was reduced in order to strengthen, you know, those higher value uh, late game, mid and late game plays. Um, which, I mean, it's just fascinating to see that back and forth, that, that competitive scene. But again, I mean, I'll just say, that's what I really loved about having a competitive season of like a month and a half, two months, where people are reacting to what they saw the week before. That was cool. We should have another one of those. Oh, we should. Maybe, you know what? what? It would be really cool if we did those twice a year. Man, twice a year? That, that would be a really revolutionary good. concept. We should really yeah. do that. Could you imagine, like, a decent prize pool with two Masters series a year for those? Like, how healthy that would be for the community? I just can't even think of – who came up with that? I've heard that somewhere. I don't know. It can't have been us. I mean, that's for sure. No, it doesn't sound like something that we would think of um, off the top of our head. We're just a bunch of here. You know, we're just learning deck access. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I I think that gives people a lot to chew on. when you're going to construct your next deck, thinking about those decks, thinking about fast, thinking about slow, thinking about value, thinking about tempo. What was the other access that we talked about? Um, fast, uh, slow, reactive, proactive, fast, reactive, slow, proactive. tempo, value. And the other thing that's really useful with these is start watching your opponent when they're playing their first three to four turns and start picking up, okay, was that a fast play or was that a slow play? Was that a proactive play or a reactive play? Because really, what we do as consistent ladder players, we learn the popular decks, right? But sometimes mm-hmm. you get those decks that they're not meta. That, that's not a popular list, you know, some rage archer list or something like that, <laughs> sure. or dragon archer, you know, or an aggro uh, Telvani, right? And you have to be able to pick up on those things early on in the game. So if you see that weird, oh, it's Telvani, and wait, that's a Mournhold Trader. That should send off bells in your head. You know, yep. that you, you want to, even if you think you know what you're playing against, even if you know the meta really well, that next step is taking what you learned from the deck axis and being able to analyze the individual cards that are being played to try to construct this idea of what their game plan and how they want to accomplish it 
is before they execute it and potentially beat you. <laughs> um, yeah. And of course, heck, if you have an extremely proactive deck, maybe you don't care what their game plan is. Uh, but that's still something to be aware of. And it can actually, you know, when we play and we start seeing a Halalu list that's playing aggressive things, we say, okay, it's aggressive Halalu. I kind of know what's in there. However, you have to remember Halalu is actually an aggro deck that has a lot of reactive tools, and people mm -hmm. don't realize that. When you have Candle Hearth uh, Brawler, is that right? Can Candle Hearth Cradle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Candle. There's Candle Hearth Brawler, Cradle Crush Giant. Uh, with things like that, um, uh, Cloud Rest Illusionists, you know, you Shining Saint. Shining Saint, right? You have these more, you know, reactive plays that an aggro deck can actually kind of start chipping away at another aggro deck's game plan to the point where, and they have so much cards, they have a lot of value, uh, mm -hmm. like Crusader's Assault, you know, East March Crusader. So they have some plays that can be, you know, even heck, there's some of them like East March is actually fairly up tempo. Um, and so you just have to be wary of that. And so and understanding that, okay, I'm playing against a more react, you know, Halalu can be more reactive than a lot of other aggro decks. Again, it's a deck that was designed and built and taken to be able to handle other aggro decks, more proactive aggro decks like a warrior list. Um, Halalu would typically have favorable matchups there. Um, so that's just stuff to be aware of. And, and it can really help you as you start taking your game to the next level and saying, I'm seeing this deck. What are they playing? Even if I don't know the meta, I can still put together an idea of how they want to play. Are they slower, faster, proactive, reactive, tempo, or value? Brings us back around, right, to, to – it brings us back around really full circle and saying that, like, one of the frustrating parts with the big card pool that we have is it's it's not easy to determine that because you go up against a guild sworn and you don't know any of those axes. You don't know any of them until they start playing cards you cannot mulligan for any of those axes because you have no idea what you're playing against because right. guilds weren't as as a class can play any of them um but that, that that is probably one of the elements of surprise and why you know like that aggro telvani could pull a couple of games because people are mulliganing for you to be maybe a slow reactive um uh deck and uh value generating deck and you're not you're playing you know proactive tempo well, aggression you know that's partly where, like, mulliganing doesn't really factor into this idea of figuring out what your opponent is doing on ladder. And typically, I would, I almost always advise people, I say, listen, if you're playing uh, on ladder and you're looking to mulligan, you can look at their class, you can kind of take that, you know, say, what is the scariest thing for my deck that can be played out mm -hmm. of that class? Mm -hmm. That's where you take it. That, that's that next step is saying, okay, I'm playing against Telvani. I'm not scared of aggro Telvani. I am scared of conscription control Telvani. So therefore I should mulligan for that. And if it's not conscription control Telvani, well, uh, hopefully it's not as good. It's not as bad of a situation. Alternatively, if you're playing a very proactive deck, don't, you could just hold your hand over that corner, right? Right there. Just don't hold your hand over it. it. Don't even look at it. Mulligan for the two drop that you want. Mulligan for a two drop. That's almost always the rule of thumb is, Find a two drop and then think about it. Find the two drop and then think. And that's actually, you know, and actually, actually, I want to say this one more thing because I was thinking about this uh, earlier today as we were, I was kind of like pulling a, a couple notes on the deck axis thing together. Um, I see so many people, newer players, um, who put together aggro lists and struggle, and you know, to different degrees of complaining or frustrated because they can't get wins, hmm. right? And I empathize because, first off, aggro is, in my opinion, 
uh, outside of some controls or some combos, excuse me. Uh, aggro is the hardest thing to play optimally. It's got a decently low skill floor, but a very high skill ceiling in mm -hmm. my opinion. Now, some aggros are different, but a lot of the aggro builds that you'll be directed towards as a newer player are proactive decks. Okay, and what that means is they're fast and they're proactive. So what you need to do is understand that what I'm trying to do is not to go face and allow my opponent to get value trades. Okay, sometimes you want to be getting your value trades. It also means that you don't want to be trading into something that doesn't threaten you or doesn't threaten your ability to mm -hmm. win the game. Um, so, for instance, I see a lot of newer players um, try to uh, – they're building into field lane and your, their opponent plays something – with a decent attack stat in Shadow, and they say, ah, I have to go to Shadow and contest it. No, you don't. Not necessarily. Um, I also see a lot of players um, play some things out field lane, start going face, um, and say, oh, my opponent just played a creature that can trade into one of my creatures. I'm just going to go face. I'm going to just be a face hunter, mm -hmm. like an old Hearthstone. Um, and they don't take that value trade. And if you think about it, if you leave... Your, if, if creature one can trade into your opponent's one creature, and creature two will die to your opponent's one creature, yeah, you could get that damage from creature one and creature two in right now. But let's say you just take creature two into the face, and you trade with creature one, and your creature lives and theirs doesn't. Now you have two creatures, and then two creatures, they're going to go into the face on the next turn, so you're actually keeping that amount of damage plus whatever you invest this turn. I don't know why I went to that accent, but <laughs> darn it, it was. I mean, it's one of those things that like I, I just see. I see the mistakes a lot, and and it's and I, I I understand where the difficulty can come in because you've got the two lanes, and you see so many people say, "Oh my God, I'm building field lane, and my opponent just threw something over in the shadow lane." A lot of the times, when you're playing an aggro deck, if your opponent is playing aggro or mid range, and they're playing into shadow, they're usually losing. Right? Yes, you're usually you should be happy that you saw you, that. You happen. you if you see them flee to the shadow lane, it means you're doing something right, and you need mm -hmm. to not panic and understand your game plan. I need to build a board that my opponent cannot screw with. My opponent, oh, I start playing some items to buff your creature's defenses up to four, so that you won't die to ice storm. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, if ice storm is the yep. single biggest concern for you know an aggro deck, if you don't win in the first five turns, start you know, picking where you want to put those uh, buffs so that they survive that ice storm. Um, I, that's just that's just something I wanted to, to kind of talk about yeah. is that, like, understand what your deck is, how your deck is trying to win. You hear aggro, you're fast, but it doesn't necessarily mean faces the place. Um, mm -hmm. And just because you have a couple, you know, ways to deal with your opponent's creatures doesn't mean you always play those reactive cards just because your opponent puts something out there. Remember, your, uh, your life total... Um, it's not like in real life where if somebody takes out, you know, a, a fifth of your total life, it means you're losing an arm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a resource, especially as aggro, your life total is a resource. Um, and if, and if you start looking at the board and doing the math and saying, I don't care if my opponent gets a six damage in, because as long as I don't play my thing over there, I'm getting 12 damage in. And sure. you're just doing that simple math, and you can kind of like estimate in your head. You don't have to add it all up every single turn. Um, understand that game plan. Understand that sometimes you know you just want to play those those fast and proactive plays in field lane um, and make the favorable trades. Don't allow your opponent to make the trades in favor of them just because you're getting three more damage. Like the the, the usually the win condition is not take your opponent to zero as fast as possible. 
it is build a board state your opponent cannot come back from. Yep. Well, that was great. That was great. Those are really good thoughts. Um, taking your game to the next level. Um, why don't you say, let's go ahead and um, let's start working on getting out of here. I have a couple of thoughts to share for Mark's final thoughts. Okay, so my final thoughts this week uh, don't have a ton to do with the game, but they do have to do with gaming in general. We live in this really individualistic culture, and this is promoted and sold really, really powerfully through video games. So things like choosing my character's hair color, um, what card back I'm using, the title that I'm posting. We, we forge an identity to get ourselves to sort of be unique and isolate. And in amongst that isolation um, and amongst that individualism, we see the deconstruction of community. And so even in a game as small as Legends, we see the the desire to be individualistic means that I cannot be involved in community because if I'm too similar to somebody, it threatens my individualism. But we weren't created or whether you believe we were created or not, um, we're not meant to live life alone. Like we we need one another. Like we need other people to be there beside us. Like we need other people um, to experience life with that we are hardwired. And this is um, both from my background, what I would call biblical. It comes from the Bible, um, but it's also just scientific as well, that as human beings, if you leave an infant completely alone without human contact, even given the things that that baby needs to live, that baby will die because one of the basic necessities for life is human interaction. It's the reason that solitary confinement is horrible and um, destroys people's lives and is an awful punishment is because we need human interaction, that we were created, that we're hardwired for human interaction, for knowing one another, for experiencing life with one another. That's part of our makeup as human beings. So all, all of this is to say, for, for me, is to find community. Um, the more individualistic that you become, like don't just buy into that. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to find things that represent who you are as an individual. But if we become obsessed with becoming that individual, we'd be set, we're obsessed with, I'm, like, I'm that top 100 player, or I'm obsessed with, um, I'm that title hunter. I'm obsessed with these different things that make me into an individual, um, it can fight against the basic human necessity for community. And so find community, set aside the keyboard, set aside the iPad, set aside the controller. I'm not saying that online community is a bad thing. It's a good supplement for genuine community, but set aside those things for various things. Do what DBN did this weekend, set aside the games and go to experience life with other people where he we talked about before the show, you drove up to just go hang out and invest and spend time with your friends, with people that you care about and people that care about you. Um, we're coming into the holidays and this is a season where people who um, are largely attracted to individualism and largely attracted, attracted to the gaming community, typically people who are introverted, typically people that are deeply analytical, um, who are starving, absolutely starving for community, racked with anxiety, oftentimes struggling with depression um, because they don't allow themselves the human interaction, whether the lack of trust for people or whatever it may be. I, I work with this all the time. Um, my heart, it, it, my heartbeat is to build community. And if you're not a community cultivator yourself, like find somebody who is and just freaking attach to that person. 
because there are certain people who naturally generate and create community around them, um, find someone and become part of that community. So my, my big, my thought for this week and, and, you know, obviously like I could preach it, right. That it's, it's clearly something I'm passionate about. It's a preaching point for me. Um, find people to find human interaction with, um, trust people, engage with people, be hurt by people, um, enjoy life with people, embrace supporting one another and embrace the support that you get from other people. Find people and live in community with them. There's very few things in life that are more rewarding and more life-giving than genuine community. Um, yeah, that's my thought. That's my thought. That's my soapbox this week. Um, you got anything on that DBN, anything to add to my, my thoughts, closing thoughts? Um, no, actually, I, I, I really don't. I, I think that it was, it's just, I mean, it's all true. I mean, I think back at the times in my life when I was, you know, struggling with anxiety or depression, and it was usually because I felt disconnected and I didn't have that, you know, interpersonal outlet. Um, not saying that you can't find some of that on the internet. You definitely can. You certainly can. Um, but I mean, ultimately, like you need, to, it's tough. I, I have a hard time being that person to branch out and go, hey, community that I would ideally like to be a part of, can I join? Right? <laughs> That's hard. That's really hard. Um, I, I will say, though, the the best experience I ever had with that was I was in my last year playing Ultimate Frisbee um, at uh, at George Mason University, where, where I went to college. Um, I was a senior and I was playing and I worked really hard all year. I lost 20 pounds to get really, really lean and fast. And I was so focused on myself. Uh, and what, and I ended up kind of like closing a lot of doors. Uh, I wouldn't go to parties, you know, cause I didn't want to drink cause I knew I would, you know, put on weight. I didn't want the calories. And, um, and then, you know, I, I would, I would go to the gym a couple of times, you know, a week on top of a four to five day practice schedule. And I had my lifting buddy, but we didn't really talk about anything besides working out in frisbee and something like that and i became so focused on that i know it's not the same right but my community uh in terms of you know playing frisbee wasn't strengthening me it was it was it was a Mm -hmm. means to an end right so there's something to be said for being engaged with someone outside of a individual goal i mean in an effect i was not using per se but i mean i the my teammates were there to advance my win condition of being a good ultimate Frisbee player and finding satisfaction through skill uh, and, you know, being valued that way. Um, And I just kind of realized as I'm getting into like the, the, you know, early spring, you know, and I'm saying, man, I am, I don't have friends. I mean, I have a lot of teammates who value me as a player, you know, but not not as as a person, not as a person. Right. And I basically, my work at my lifting partner uh, was talking to another guy who I hadn't gotten very close with, but I'd been a team with mate with for three and a half years. And I'm, I'm kind of following them out of practice by myself, you know, with my cleats in hand and I'm walking behind them listening. And they're like, Oh man, you want to come over and play rocket league? And I was like, man, I like rocket league, or at least I'd like to play rocket league. And I was like, Hey, can I, can I come too? <laughs> yeah. And how how weird is that to have to say that? You know what I mean? But sometimes, but then they turn around, they're like, "Heck yeah, man, come on out!" And it was one of those things they didn't they they can't had the impression I wasn't interested. Sure, sure. I didn't care about them. You know, mm-hmm. 
to yeah. a certain degree, you have to look at your behavior patterns and mm -hmm. say, am I coming off of somebody who wants to be engaged? And that may be why people aren't asking you to be engaged. And sometimes you have to change that narrative by turning around and saying, biting the bullet, yes, maybe a little bit yes. of pride, a little bit of pride and say, yes. hey, can I come? Can I come play Rocket League? Dude, that's, that's so powerful. Fight. That's so powerful. Changing the narrative. Yes. Right. Well, and I tell you what, guess who I just went and hung out with this weekend? Some dude Those you played two Rocket guys. League. Yeah. Those two guys. Four well, years later. They it, like. They are in my. They are among my best friends. I can't imagine, you know, not texting them about goofy stuff, you know, and like, uh, and yeah, it's hard. I just had I just had a very similar conversation with a guy just today. We were talking about community. We were in a coffee shop, and he said, "Literally, man, me and my wife will get together with couples, and like, we'll grab dinner together, and at the end of dinner, we're like, hey, will you guys be our friends?'" <laughs> just, we're, we're lonely would you just be our friends and, and he's like it's like this horribly awkward like difficult thing and we like really put ourselves out there and it's like this define the relationship conversation you'd have with a girl that you went out with you know the second yeah. time or whatever he's like but it was like this it we have made some of the absolute best friends and we have this beautiful incredible community around us now that it's vibrant and incredible and we're living life together and we didn't have that before but it came from putting ourselves out there and what we found was when we offered that they were like oh my gosh like yes that's what we want too. That's why we're hanging out tonight. Like, yeah, we're just kind of hoping to hit it off. Like we're hoping that we would make for, be friends. And the, the, the further you get into life, the less naturally this comes about, right? The harder it is to cultivate. So be a community cultivator, um, put yourself out there, give you the risk of rejection. Um, the, the times that you'll be rejected, th those moments that you will build that community and be that, that will be cultivated, um, makes all the difference. So put yourself out there, take those words of wisdom. Hopefully you can apply those things to your life. So you're getting more than just card game information at this. You're actually improving your life here. Um, DBN man. Um, I, I think that we need to get out of here cause it's about two hours in and my daughter is awake upstairs uh -oh. somewhere. My <laughs> wife just texted me. So I think I'm on baby duty for the next couple hours. And, uh, so I tell you what, as we're closing here, how can people get connected with you, find the stuff that you're putting out there? Yeah. So, um, you guys are, if you're, if you're watching live, you're already here. If not, uh, twitch.tv slash dead nerd. I must admit I've been streaming a little bit less than I usually want to. Um, I'm trying to figure out a schedule that works for me. Um, it can be difficult to find that time to stream. I, I, I try when I can. I always post on Twitter, which you can find me. Um, Dead Broke Nerd um, on Twitter. I post a couple times a day, retweet some interesting stuff from the community. I uh, also talk about some uh, you know, other things, other games and stuff like that. So you, know, you can follow me on Twitter and ask me questions or whatever if you want. Um, and then more importantly, uh, my YouTube the Dead Broke Nerd on YouTube. You can uh, find me there. I post between three and four videos every week, ranging from Elder Scrolls Legends to Mythgard, uh, which I'm posting a fair amount of, a, a little bit of an even split, and occasionally a Gwent video. Right now I'm, I'm struggling in Gwent because I don't have enough of a card pool to really build the top tier decks working on that. Uh, but when I do have a new uh, video for Gwent, I will certainly post it because I really like that game. So between those three games, Elder Scrolls Legends being the foremost among them, uh, my YouTube uh, account should have plenty of, of fun things to watch. I've even started doing um, some things, and I'm 
hoping to do one with Mark soon. Actually, uh, I've started mm-hmm. doing team-up videos when it comes to Mythgard, doing some 2v2 with some friends, and then doing, um, you know, versus just fun, casual, you know, versus matches with uh, other people. I did one with Lord Costa, who's a really awesome uh, member of the Tesla community uh, and a friend of mine. So uh, Mark and I will have to do one or two to, to put up on the, on the YouTube sometime. Oh, but yeah, follow me. Follow me there, and feel free to message me on Discord, which is probably the easiest place to find me that I'll get back to you quickest. Um, and uh, feel, if you have a deck that you want me to look at, if you have a question about strategy, heck, I mean, this, nobody's ever done this, and don't do it too much. But if you're really struggling with a deck or, or a, a gameplay style, if you want to record yourself, uh, send me a link to the video. I'll watch it, and I, I can try to give you some feedback and. I won't be as good as Endo, but I, I do know the basics at least to, to help you out. So whatever you want to do, feel free to message me. I'm always open. You know, Mark's always talking about building community. Uh, I'm trying to do my best at that too. <laughs> so sure. feel free. Yeah. Uh, um, for me, come join our community on Discord. Um, that's definitely the best place to get connected. Um, visit us at patreon.com, looking searching for uh, the hot. Uh, Legends cast on patreon.com if you want to support us and give value back where you see value we would appreciate your financial support over there helps make the show go it's not a lot of money but it helps encourage DBN and I to keep doing what we're doing um, and other than that um, uh, you can message me if you have any need you know my my heart is to bring light and uh, um, hope into an otherwise rather dark world and the online community can be a pretty dark place full of a lot of dark things and so if you're struggling you're depressed I want you to know that you're not alone I'm here to support you my heart I'm outside of this job outside of this podcast like i'm a pastor um my heart is to pray for you it's not to shove any specific religion or anything down your throat it's just to pray for you um and to to be there to listen to you and be a support for you so if you need someone to listen to you you need someone to support you right now um please 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 reach out to me email me at eslegendscast at gmail.com message me over discord um find a way to message me i, I even have a, a i stream occasionally at the twitch.tv slash the 113 lifts you can find me there the 113 lift is also my name on uh, elder scrolls legends so you can send me a friend request on that i'd love to connect with you there too so uh yeah that's gonna do it for me that's the best ways to get connected with me and that is going to wrap up um episode number 23 episode number 23 is wrapped up which is awesome yeah. fast tracked episode 25 we don't know whether we're going to be recording next week because it's thanksgiving week so just keep your eyes open i would say there's a pretty good chance that we won't be dbn might be traveling and honestly like we have a ton of stuff at thanksgiving we have like two giant friendsgivings that we do with people uh, amongst that and hunting season like all of those things lined up make it almost impossible for me to do so my guess would be there won't be an episode 24 next week, but if there is, you'll hear about it. Um, I think that's the safest way to put that, don't you, DBN? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll let you know. Maybe we can even fit in a quick recording 30 minutes of fun in between or something. We'll yeah, let yeah. you know. It'll be on the Twitter. It'll be on the Discord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just stay tuned in to, to, to where we release news. Okay, that's going to do it for episode number 23. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening and come back next time for another episode of Legends Cast. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Elder Scrolls Legends. If you want to support Legends Cast, you can always leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, or you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash legendscast. Be sure to come back next week and make sure that you check out our sponsor, both Inked Gaming and Team Rankstar at teamrankstar.com.